Let's Science is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. We live in a universe of scientific wonders. Every day, scientists are inching towards breakthroughs which can change our lives. We're playing our small part in sharing these wonders with you. That's why today is a fine day for science. So let's science. So Caroline, uh, you are going today to tell us about lightning crystals, also known as, is it fulgurites? Did I say that right? Fulgurites. Excellent. Yeah. This sounds very exciting. So over to you. Let's go. Yeah, so, yeah, there's a new term for you, fulgurites. It's also a new term for me because I didn't know what they were called before, <laughs> so there we go. So, I found this really interesting, first of all, because I didn't know much about it, and then, anyway, I'll continue on, and then you'll <laughs> you'll know why as well. It's a very interesting topic. So, there's been a never-seen-before mineral found in a fulgurite. A potentially brand new mineral may have been hiding inside a chunk of fossilized lightning from Florida, scientists have revealed. Researchers led by Matthew Pasek from the University of South Florida published their findings in the March 14 journal, Communications, Earth and Environment. So, so far, this material has never been found to occur naturally on Earth. Research on this type of mineral was only recently performed on fulgurites or crystals formed by lightning. Um, Matthew Pasek, who is a geoscientist, said that the minerals that they have found are similar in composition to those found in meteorites in space, but they have never found this particular um, mineral anywhere here on Earth. So what exactly are they studying? They are studying the crystals called fulgurites. And they are often called, like you said, Lindsay, lightning, fossilized lightning or lightning crystals. They capture the pattern of lightning in sand, soil or rock, as well as organic material on the ground and create a crystal fossil when the lightning hits. The soil, sand or rock or organic material fuses together after it's been hit by lightning to form a singular clump. They often look like hollow or branching structures of glassy tubes. They can be crusty or clumpy masses. Um, some of them look really me um, metallic. Some will just look like rock. There's all sorts of amazing um, structures and um, physical properties to them. A very interesting fact of the fulgurites is they don't actually have a fixed composition because they're actually made up of the materials that the lightning makes contact with, which you know, makes sense. Yes. So this particular fossilized lightning clump that was being studied uh, was created when a lightning, um, when lightning struck a tree near Port Ritchie, which is in Florida in the United States. Um, Matthew Pasek, this researcher, purchased this particular fulgurite from the owner of the tree it was found near and to study it further. His area of research really is to study high-energy chemical reactions such as those generated by lightning strikes. This fulgurite was around 2.8 inches, or that's 7 centimetres long, and 0.8 inches, or 2 centimetres wide. Um, he and his fellow researchers discovered a colourful crystal-like matter within the fulgurite when they opened it up and examined it using an electron microscope. 
further analysis revealed that the matter was previously unknown material consisting of mainly a calcium phosphate. It was suspected that this material is new and previously undiscovered. Further study by scientists will have to be performed to confirm this is true. So hopefully when the material is confirmed as a new material, it will be officially named. So, you know, it'd be like something like, I don't know, there's all sorts of minerals that we have on Earth, like amethyst and, you know, all those kind of um, pyrites, you know, all sorts of different minerals. So this is a new one that they haven't found here on Earth yet. So during the research, the team actually tried to recreate this calcium phosphate mineral in the lab, but they were unsuccessful. It's believed that the reason is because um, it's usually formed rapidly in nature and under very precise conditions. So under lightning conditions, basically. So it would need the exact same composition of material also to be identical to the the one found outside. The sample they tried to generate also broke down into another material, because they were heating it up for too long. So, you know, you've got to get it, yeah, like I said, it's got to be lightning strike conditions. So it's believed that other new minerals may be found in the future by studying more fulgurites, which is pretty cool, I think. Yeah. So um, for those, especially I used to collect rocks when I was little, that's just one <laughs> yeah, of my you other did. That's secret right, yeah. nerdy things. So yeah, so yeah. I had lots of different minerals um, and I used to be amazed by the structure of them, the colours and all of that. And then when I started chemistry, I was more amazed by them because I got learned about atomic structure and molecular bonding and all of that kind of thing. So I thought that was really cool. And I looked at my minerals in a completely different way. So um, I can imagine why um, people studying minerals um, would be so excited to find something new and, and something that be maybe like just so... Um, you know, so rare on earth, who knows if there's another one like this, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, this would be, this could be the only sample or one of the only samples of this particular mineral because of, like you said, the very specific conditions that were needed to make it, which is really amazing. That's right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So that's, um, yeah, so I thought that was pretty cool. I found some interesting facts about fulgurites, just to further our knowledge a little bit more. So, the name fulgurite actually comes from the Latin fulgur, which means lightning. Um, fulgurites need a temperature of about 1800 degrees Celsius to form, and most lightning, lightning strikes are about 2500 degrees Celsius. Um, the largest fulgurite ever found was in South Florida, so the same kind of area, and measures about 4.9 metres or 16 feet in length. So that's a huge one. That's a huge Imagine one. Imagine that lightning. <laughs> I don't want to be near that lightning. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> they've been found up to a depth of 15 metres or 49 feet below the surface. And since they're created by lightning, studying them in a specific area can also help to understand the climate and frequency of lightning strikes in the area, which is another interesting area of study concerning fulgurites. And they also provide a fossilized record about the number of lightning strikes that have occurred in the past. And if a lightning strike has multiple forks, sometimes they form multiple fulgurites in the same area. So that's <laughs> really cool lightning, as yeah. well. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. There's just a very brief rundown about fulgurites. So I thought that was interesting. I needed to share that. <laughs> that was, yeah, that's fascinating. I like that. I, I was just Googling while you were talking, just pictures of them. And like you said, the shape is unique. And some of them are long and they have different shapes. And, you know, you were talking about that. That's um, that's amazing. And just to think about, yeah, so if they wanted to recreate one, 
that they would need to somehow what mimic a lightning strike that was two thousand five hundred degrees. Yeah, which Goodness I don't know how you do yeah. that. <laughs> That's it. And if they like, like it mentioned in the article, they get it too hot, the mineral changes into something else completely yes. because yep. you know the bonding happens at particular. Particular temperatures, particular pressures. If you've done chemistry before, you understand how, you know, temperature and pressure is very important. You also need the the, the right amount of the particular elements or molecules or the substance to create that particular mineral. So it's everything's precise. For example, diamonds need a particular pressure and particular temperature to form. They're made out of carbon. Carbon under one situation might be... Um, uh, coal, but on another situation, it's a diamond. So, you know, it's got to be under the correct pressure and temperature and the right conditions. Yeah. Yep. Do you Can think I ask a question, Caroline? Yeah, you go, Lena. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're, sorry, sorry. Oh, yeah. When you're talking about diamonds, is it that what is the difference between the carrots? Is that how many? The carrots of diamonds? That's a good question. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm not really sure. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a diamond expert. I just oh, know okay, that okay, okay. there's particular facets, the way they're cut and all of that, the clarity. I think it's got to be like a perfect diamond and, and it's judged on how many carrots it is. So I think it's got to, to be yeah. so how it has perfect to do with, it is. Some diamonds yeah. are manufactured, yes, but some also, are. I think also the, the, the more precious the ones are found in nature. The weight, yeah, yeah. 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 But the more precious okay, okay. ones are found are the ones naturally found. And if you've get, got like even the colour of diamonds, you can have yellow, pink diamonds, mm. you know, you can have – so I know a bit more than I thought. So, <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, the, the rarity of that particular diamond, you know, that that's how it makes more – how you can determine how more precious or valuable and the carrots and all of that. So, yeah. But if anyone's more of an expert on diamonds, please feel to, yeah, jump <laughs> feel to, us, to yeah. make some comments. Chuck it on Discord. Come on. Yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know if it's a question more of a, more than a comment, but uh, I'm trying to understand how this process of uh, fulgurite being created. So is it, you know, you were talking about the specific conditions. Do you think it's also, is it, do you think it's instantaneous because a lightning strike is so quick, right? So is it just like within this, within the time it takes for a lightning strike to, you know, occur and dissipate, is that, that's that's it. It's it. The formations already that's happened. It. It's or done. It's, it's basically done because um, it may take time to cool down. Perhaps and the crystals need to cool down. And so, like, has if it's a fast cooling down, you'll have smaller crystals. If it slows down, if the cooling of the substance is a bit slow, you'll have larger. You'll have larger crystals. But definitely, when the lightning hits the material, it will automatically bond whatever's there together. You know, and you know, the, you have to go into molecular structure and all that, but it would all kind of stick together in a particular way and the the atoms will be aligned in a particular way and to form this new mineral, the calcium phosphate that we haven't seen before. Um, but definitely it's an inter- instantaneous reaction. But like I said, the the time to cool down may also have an influence on the structure and the, the, crystallized, the crystals in the particular material. Very cool. cool. It's some um, lightning. Um, I don't know where we got taught this or, or where I heard about it, but does lightning come from above and below and hit together and make that crack? Or do they actually come down from above and down and that's it? So as far as I know, it's created in the atmosphere and it will come from above. Oh, um, okay. Not from it's like below a static, as well. And- to do with like a static charge... 
Yeah, but it may come from below. You're right. So if there is a particular situation that will invite it from the ground, perhaps there is that. I'm not an expert in lightning. Oh, no, no, no. Now you've given me something to think about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it is started with atmospheric conditions. Yeah. So it it just creates a charge and then boom, there's a lightning. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just uh, other brief, brief science news, if I can just change topic very quickly now. Oh, so, of uh, course. Go for it. Yes. All right. So you know what I'm talking about. So uh, a couple I of do, nights I ago, do. yeah. Uh, we've been waiting uh, maybe two years for this now. So the first launch of the most powerful rocket in the world, Starship, you know, on the super heavy booster. Um, so the first uh, test launch occurred, um, well, so at time of recording, it would be a couple of days ago. Um, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be almost, well, just over a week. But essentially, um, SpaceX has been working on um, a new type of rocket. So it's still very experimental, but it is the largest booster and most powerful booster in the world in order to lift um, uh, the the second stage, which they call Starship. And um, so at the moment, I think a Falcon 9 rocket. So Falcon 9 is the rocket that launches the most every year now. Um, and that can lift about, I think it's, uh, is it 15 tons to orbit? I think it is something along those lines. So the, um, yeah, so when Starship slash Super Heavy is eventually ready, the aim is that it would be over 120 uh, tons to, to, to Earth's me. orbit and beyond as well. So, um, yeah, if anyone watched it, so we were, it was at 11.30 at night, I stayed up to watch this, right? So, um you know, th- this test um, was most likely going to fail. Like, th- it's not a surprise that it, that it failed at some point because, again, this is experimental technology. If you've seen how SpaceX tests rockets, if you saw, with, for example, the Falcon 9 tests, there were, <laughs> yes. there were a lot of explosions, a lot of crashes, a yes. lot of, you know. Yeah. Yes. It's kind of... I mean, you don't want them to be exploding, but it's kind of cool when they do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and that's the particular way that, that SpaceX operates, which is why you see more test launches and more explosions. Whereas if you see like, you know, NASA's Artemis 1, um, this was more about it's got to be perfect the first time. So that's why there were several launch attempts. That's why it took years and years and years and years for this rocket to, you know, to take off because it, it had to be successful. Um, and because it's a government program, so you've got to show results, right? So if you've got an explosion, that's exactly right. No money, it's a yeah. government thing, and they probably don't have unlimited money <laughs> like uh, uh, SpaceX would have, whatever Elon wants to put into it. Yeah. So. so yeah, whereas SpaceX, you know, they they talk about iterating, you know, upwards, you know, so you have a failure, you learn from it, you do better next time. Um, so yeah, so this current this current version that launched. It cleared the pad, which was one milestone. So getting off the ground yeah. is one is the first thing, right? Which is really good. It made it through max Q, which is the um, the time yeah, where there's the did. most um, aerodynamic pressure on the rocket. So it got through that, and it got to the point. So it was about uh, got to about thirty eight kilometers above the Earth. So they did show one uh, brief like bit of footage where um, you could see the curvature of the Earth, you know, like from from space. Um, the actual space technically is considered 100 kilometers uh, above the Earth. So they, they call it the Kármán line, I think. So it didn't quite get that far. It did its little flip so that the second stage could could could, um, could separate. But then, but then there was no separation. So because the first and second stage were still um, were still connected, it kind of started to do some aerobatics and spin flipping, out of control. Yeah. And at but one point, but did you notice was, that there yeah. were about? 
probably six engines that were not lit up. Yes. So yeah. that oh, might wow. have had something to do with it as well. Yeah. I don't know. But and and yeah. I wonder if, um, yeah, so I wonder if some of them might have been damaged by debris at launch yeah. because if you look at yeah. the um, if you look at the orbital launch pad now, there's a massive crater underneath it. Um, from the the power oh, of these thirty three wow. engines, you know, all going off at once. Then they yeah. need to sort that out as well. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So Elon Musk tweeted. Well, well, Elon maybe Musk tweeted. Okay, maybe we maybe we do need a flame diverter because a lot of these large rockets. If you look at, um, for example, if you look at the launches of um of other rockets and especially like go back to like the NASA space shuttles, for example, they have a flame diverter system so that the the power of you know the engine, the flames go down to the ground and then it kind of diverted outwards to the side so yes. that you don't have all this sort of like blowback on the rocket um, and all this debris yeah. and, and everything flying back yeah. in. So I mean, That's right. It's yeah, all there learning, were chunks of it? concrete. Yeah. There was um, NASA Spaceflight is one of the, one of the um, media organizations that loves, you know, they're like some, they're just enthusiasts who love to cover all of this. And they had a car that was um, several kilometers away, um, mm-hmm. but closer than most others. Um, oh, no. And it got hit by rocks and debris and got smashed or whatever. <laughs> oh, I was about to say, that's a bit close, yeah. But, but the thing is, I'm pretty sure they were expecting it as well. Like, they, you know, anything. Of course. Yeah. So they knew what they risks they were taking. They would have been prepared taking. for that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, so yeah, very cool. so great to watch. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it was about three or four minutes into flight. They activated, it's called the, the flight termination system, which is where they basically explode the rocket because it's gone out of control. And that's for safety reasons. So um. So very good, a very good start. Obviously, they've learned a lot. Um, what people also need to realize as well is that the technology on this particular booster and and second stage Starship is not the latest technology that they currently have. So it's the technology they had at a particular stage. They've already improved in because there are already other boosters and Starships that have been built, right? That uh, have already have improved technology. And this is how SpaceX always works: is they, you know, so they they launch with a particular what they have. They've learned from that, but they're always they're always iterating upwards until they have the the perfect design, because what they're aiming for is to have a one hundred percent reusable rocket, which doesn't exist yet. That is not a thing yet that, that anyone can do. So right now they can reuse their boosters on their Falcon nines, but the second stage is uh, is disposable. So they want a one hundred percent reusable rocket, and that's the that's what they're aiming for, which is very ambitious yeah, and. It yeah. is. They they basically want space travel to be something like you just take a bus and you you're off to the moon and you're off to Mars and then you come back. You know, or you're off to another country land. as well. I mean, eventually, and this is still yeah, years that away, would be but great. <laughs> you could you could just about seriously catch a rocket and inst- almost not instantaneously, but within a very very short amount of time, you know, within an hour or less, you could be in another country. So. I know. Yeah. Wouldn't that be good for us going to Malta? Like we, oh, we can't awesome. go because it's such a long flight and so expensive. But imagine if it was like just a short flight, just a short rocket launch away. Yeah. Although, <laughs> although I'd great. say if we go to Malta, you'd have to land at sea because there'd be nowhere for a rocket yeah, to so land on Malta. A, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or you land yeah. on a bigger country and take a plane from I'd there. Take, but yeah, still, it would. Right. Uh, yeah, it would still cut down the the time. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh, wow. Good one. All right, um, exciting stuff. Let's Science is brought to you by StarQuest Media and is a fortnightly podcast that brings you the scientific wonders of our universe from a distinctly Catholic point of view. For more from Caroline, Lindsay, and friends, listen to the StarQuest show, Catholics of Oz. Find links from today's show at sqpn.com slash science and find the Catholics of Oz at sqpn.com slash Oz. Be sure to follow the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you can find podcasts, 
or on the SQPN YouTube channel. The generous donations of our patrons at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue Let's Science and all the shows at StarQuest, which makes our nonprofit mission possible. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Join us next time for more scientific wonders, and thank you for listening to Let's Science on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, The Secrets of Middle-Earth. Find it wherever you can find podcasts or at sqpn.com slash Middle-Earth.